going up Laurel Mountain, um, it, it, I never tire of it. I know that I've personally done it 200 times, and it I never tire of it. I never not see something I, I haven't seen before. It is it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the one of the best ribbons of single track that we've got. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180 Tack. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 259, Eric Weber talks about mountain biking in the Pisgah National Forest outside Asheville, North Carolina. I wanted to welcome the latest three vendors to the ASP Member Deals site. You can find it at members.adventuresportspodcast.com. Cool Chocolate is now on the site. You can save 15% on their amazing chocolate. B4 Adventure has also joined us. They make the Ninja Slackline you've heard about. And of course, Pickle Juice. You guys heard Pickle Juice on a recent episode. They have the anti-cramping formula. This is an energy drink. So you can save 20% on Pickle Juice if you're a member of the ASP member deals. Go check it out. Members.adventuresportspodcast.com. You'll be helping the show as well. Thanks. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. On today's episode, we're going to talk to Eric Weber. And the reason Eric is on the show is because one of you awesome listeners reached out to us in our online survey and you provided your information, but one of the things you asked for was more representation from the East Coast. Um, unfortunately, we get a lot of West Coast and Colorado representation because we're a very active area out, out here, and that's where we are, so we end up picking up interviews uh, in our own area, but I'm so glad that you reached out and asked us to have some East Coast representation. So for the rest of you who are thinking, man, they don't represent me, go find our survey online. It's on the right-hand side of our site, and it just says online survey. Click that and talk to us. We actually do read them. We listen to you guys, and we love to hear from you. So this is a good example of one of those coming through, and now we're going to talk about some East Coast mountain biking. So Eric, welcome to the show for starters. Thank you very much, Travis. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. I am an East Coaster. Uh, 20 years ago, I moved uh, to Colorado from uh, the East Coast up in Connecticut. Little bit different terrain uh, from what you're looking at, but I think it was much similar, much more similar terrain to North Carolina than it is for Colorado. So I'm really kind of interested in talking to you and maybe reliving a little bit of my early mountain bike years and and kind of missing the conditions out of there. So it's uh, be fun to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you, let, let's start in, we always start in with uh, backgrounds of our guests. So let's get into you a little bit, you and your wife, um, about how you guys got into mountain biking in the, in the beginning and ultimately how you guys end up parlaying this into a, in a business where you guys are running a ton of mountain bike races out there, so... Start from the beginning for me, if you would. Well, um, I, I did the BMX thing as a kid. Uh, as a 80s kid, I did a freestyle BMX and uh, riding half pipes and things like that. Um, I joined the Air Force, and uh, that became uh, harder and harder to do. <clears throat> they didn't really, um, they kind of frowned on it uh, in terms of, uh, I was getting hurt too much. 
And so um, having to ride a bike, I, I quickly discovered mountain biking when they were saying that, you know, riding the half pipes might not be the best idea. Um, and so the, um, I, I just, I was riding mountain bikes um, starting in about 92 and um, it, fast forward to the late 90s. Um, I had been uh, in the audiovisual services career, uh, doing hospitality and you know setting up microphones and projectors and lighting and things like that, and w just providing one portion of uh, an entire event again and again and again. Every single day, I was doing this one portion of the event. But I saw event planners that were uh, creating the entire event and just bringing me in to do this one piece. So being able to watch a lot of events like that. Um, then having the experience of going to an event, um, where I realized that, you know, I, I really could just, I could do this. I could put on an event like this. Uh, so I, because I was just taking notes, uh, based on my audiovisual career, looking at what the race director was providing for us, you know, for the first time, taking a look at, um, behind the scenes, uh, and, and just trying to figure out the logistics of it all. Um, then a couple years later, um, I had met my future wife and we were going out and doing ridiculously large rides. Uh, she was an adventure racer at the time. And so we would go out, you know, for, uh, now it's commonplace going out for six plus hours, but then it, it really wasn't. Uh, and we were trying to get our friends to come out and join us. And, you know, they, they just thought we were crazy for going out for six plus hours in Pisgah. So the, the best way to get people to do the things you want them to do is to challenge them to do it somehow. Um, in, in my opinion, you know, figure out a way to entice them to do it. And so uh, we, we just, we thought up the Pisgah mountain bike adventure race. She had gone to an adventure race and came back with the seeds of the idea and just uh, at a bar one night um, we were just talking it through and I was telling her how you know I really wanted to do this you know and it's been you know at this point it's been three or four years that the um, that the idea had been just on the back burner you know thinking about what how would that be possible and then she just came up with this idea uh, for, that was the basis for the Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventure Race, and I just set it in motion. I mean, um, it, it is that, that was the basics of it. So in a bar one night, you decided to kick this whole thing off. I love that because all good ideas start in a bar as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was great, you know, because um, the adventure race that she came back from, uh, all we did was tweak it just a little bit, and it was a brand new event, you know, it, it with a brand new character. Uh, and so, um, and, you know, and, and then the background that I had, uh, it made it so that, you know, we could just pull it off. And our, our first event was in 2003 and we had 17 racers show up to the very first one. And then the very next one was 36 racers and then 70. It just started to snowball immediately. Now this is an adventure race for runners, right? It was the first one. Well, no, no. Uh, Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventure Race uh, is oh, a mountain, mountain bike, bike race. Okay, okay. Yeah. I hear that part. And so it's uh, PEMBAR, Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventure Race. Um, the, the rules of the game are that there are five checkpoints spread out through the forest, 
and you have to reach four out of the five in any order and then get back to the start finish as fast as you can. There's no bushwhacking, no off map trails or anything like that. You got to stay on the legit mountain bike trails the entire time. And then, you know, I throw in little surprises along the way too, but then, you know, and, and people just loved it. Well, and I asked because you guys, you don't, don't only do, um, mountain bike racing. You actually do road racing and running races. So I was thinking you were talking about that first running race. So she oh. basically had been a part of these and, and decided, you know, this is something that we could probably finagle and put on ourselves. And you had already had the, the idea brewing in the back of your head that, that you wanted to get into the full production of it. So it came, came together fairly well there. Absolutely. She just basically said, you know, I wish, you know, it would have changed the entire character of the event if they would have done this. And I said, well, why don't we do that? And it, it just started right there. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I had just, I didn't even realize uh, mountain bike adventure races were really a thing until I was out in Moab. Um, I guess it was this past fall and it was the Moab Epic, I think is what they call it. And I looked it up because it happened to be out there the, the same weekend. I was just riding, um, not partaking in anything. And uh, I looked it up and I realized that it was basically the same format you know, that you're talking about. And I thought that's the kind of race that I would like to be a part of because I'm not the guy that I don't want to be next to a whole bunch of other riders competing and, and cranking up the hill because I don't climb hills very well. Uh, but I don't want to be, uh, you know, neck and neck with people or bar and bar with people in that type of race. But when I saw that you can actually do an adventure race and actually get to checkpoints and find your way to the checkpoint, um, and then get back, I thought that's a cool race to be a part of. So I think I definitely want to try one of those out for sure. It's, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, you know, um, after the first event, uh, it, the numbers just kept doubling until we reached our maximum capacity based on the forest service, uh, permits. And, you know, and, and um, it, it's, you know, I wish we could grow more, but they put a limit on us. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, let's talk about the forest. I was looking up the, the Pisgah National Forest, and I was actually pretty intrigued to find out that it, it, it is apparently where national forests were born. They, uh, they basically contains uh, a whole section of the first area that was bought under the Weeks Act that started out the whole national forest program in our country. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So down in, uh, we're talking Western North Carolina, uh, just north of Asheville is where Eric is from. And the Pisgah National Forest is right there. If you guys know what the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway is, uh, Blue Ridge Parkway goes right through Pisgah National Forest. So you can imagine how gorgeous this area is that we're talking about. So let's talk about some of the terrain and trails in that area. Like I alluded to coming from the, the East Coast up in Connecticut, I kind of missed that, um, that, that soil, the, the damp soil where it's more peaty, you know, and it's uh, grippy versus out here in Colorado where it's often dry um, and you're running a different type of tire. But back there, you guys have a totally different condition. You know, you have, you have wet and you have roots. So fill us in on what it's like to ride in, in Pisgah in that area of Asheville. Well, um, as you described, the, the, the conditions are, um, wet, rooty, rocky. Um, the, the mountains are, uh, the, the highest peak east of the Mississippi is Mount Mitchell. And, uh, that is, uh, also in the Pisgah National Forest, um, and it, it, it's just a little bit further north than us, but, and that's at, um, just over 6,000 feet. Uh, the mountains that we're riding on, uh, out in the Pisgah district of Pisgah, 
35 to 5,000 feet of, climb, of, um, elevation, you know, of elevation, um, and they're, they're steep. There's lots of steep hills, but they're not, um, you know, there's hike of bikes on every ride, but there are, uh, it's not all hike up and then all bomb down. You know, they're, they're definitely, it's, it's very enjoyable in terms of the elevation gain. Uh, the, the actual tread is uh, loamy. Um, it, it's dirt that is, um, you know, it's, it, it's definitely not sand. It's definitely usually not dry. Um, hard pack, um, with rocks and roots that are just everywhere. Uh, we're also in a, uh, temperate rainforest. Uh, Pisgah National Forest is a temperate rainforest. And so whatever that number of inches of rain that we get a year, uh, it makes it so that there are spring heads popping out, you know, everywhere. Uh, there'll be just areas of trail that are perpetually wet, um, you know, and, and rocks that, Unless we're in a drought, um, there's always a flow of water going over it. Um, there, there are waterfalls that we pass by, um, you know, and, and the terrain is just, you know, absolutely excellent for mountain biking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I miss that. That's um, it's been so dry out here in Colorado. I'm finally sitting on a rainy day um, today, and I couldn't. I honestly couldn't tell you the last time it rained out here. It's been that dry. So, the terrain that you're talking about. Um, Sounds great at this point. In fact, loamy is the word I was searching for when I said PD. Right. That's uh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and uh, another thing um, is that you know there's there's tree cover the entire time. Now, one thing I didn't mention, you know, we're uh, almost always under tree cover. Mm. Uh, there's the you you ride two views. That's uh, not something that is you know right there all the time. Um, it, you know, you'll you'll be in the woods for a majority of a ride. And then you'll, you'll peek out at a place and, you know, you'll be able to see, you know, great distances. But then once you start back into the woods, you're back in the woods, you know, you're not, there's, it's not an open sky feel whatsoever. So you get that shade, but you also get to enjoy the humidity, right? Oh, it is humid. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's a trade-off for sure. So somebody that's listening in has never been to North Carolina and I haven't, I've only passed through, so I've never been to Asheville. What? Describe Asheville and describe some of the surroundings and maybe even like what they should be planning on or looking at if they're planning a trip out to that area to a mountain bike ride. Well, um, Asheville, uh, I'm not sure of the, the number of people that live here. I think Buncombe County is at 250,000 or something like that. Uh, and that's the county that uh, Asheville is within. Uh, Brevard is actually the town that is the closest to the Pisgah National Forest entrance uh, where you want to go. But Asheville is where you'd be flying into. Asheville has uh, all the hotels and uh, the breweries. Um, it, it was named Beer City uh, last year or the year before, something like that. Um, Oscar, uh, Oscar Blues is in uh, Brevard, and uh, New Belgium Brewery is in uh, Asheville. So we've got, and Sierra Nevada is actually in Mills River, right in between the two. So three major breweries, and then you know, one of the highest per capita um, breweries, uh, it, it, people to brewery is, is here in Asheville. Uh, Brevard is a smaller town. There's a college there and um, a couple really excellent bike shops. Um, and but but less of the hotels and the restaurants and, you know, and, and the sightseeing type stuff um, than in Asheville. The, those are the two towns, though, that you'd be, if you're going to Pisgah, 
Uh, you'd be flying into Asheville, and then you know, just you figure out what taste you have. Do you want to just go to the small town that's really close, or do you want to go to the nicer, fancier hotel and the nicer, fancier restaurants and such? Right. Oscar Blues, you mentioned that. That was actually uh, their uh, brewery right here in Longmont and Lyons, right where I'm sitting right now. I didn't realize they reached all the way out to the East Coast. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they opened up a brewery a few years ago. Very cool. Yep. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. All right, I thought it's been a little time since we've read a few of our reviews, so let me give you three that we've got recently. Um, On iTunes, Ryan A. Brown, 1989, says, Absolutely the best adventure show available, full of great information and amazing stories, hosted by true outdoorsmen who love their craft. Hey, Ryan, man, that sounds like a plant, but I don't think it is as far as I know. Maybe Curtis put it in there, but I will take it. Thank you for the review. And Godfinger sucks. I'm not sure uh, who that is, but they say I love the seat. I love the episodes involving aviation. So, hey, good. I'm glad I like aviation too. We don't do enough of it. Maybe we need to do a little, to do a little bit more. So, thank you, Mister Godfinger sucks, uh, for leaving that review. And we also received one on Facebook. Mandy says, wonderful, inspiring, and emotional podcast. I really liked that even though he DNF'd, and she's talking about Todd Lewis, uh, who ran the uh, 100 miles on episode 256. Uh, She said, even though he DNF'd on several of his races, especially his 100 Kers, he never gave up and he was finally able to accomplish his goal with his family and his friends waiting at the finish line. So awesome. Never give up. Thank you, Mandy, for leaving that comment. Comment as well. So if you guys want to reach out to us and leave a comment, we would appreciate it. We love hearing from you. So go on to iTunes, go on to Facebook, go on to Instagram, go wherever you want to go where we are and leave us a comment. We like it. So let's talk about some of the races that you guys put on. I was looking through your race menu, for lack of a better term, and you have a ton of them. So 
You already talked about the uh, the adventure race. Um, mm-hmm. You guys actually have a couple races that are actually, um, uh, what did you call them? Not stage races, but uh, like checkpoint races or adventure races. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, adventure races is what we call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's where you find your own way to your own kind of checkpoints uh, in your own order and then get back. So what else do you guys offer? Well, uh, we have that. Um, the, the adventure race in, in three different flavors, uh, one going up to uh, 36 straight hours. Um, and so they start at midnight on Friday night and they go all the way through until noon on Sunday. Um, and wow. then, yeah, and so uh, that, that race is formally known as the most horrible thing ever. <laughs> um, however, the, uh, the forest didn't really like that name once they were requiring a permit for it. And so it's been turned, changed to the Pisgah 36. Uh, boring uh, by comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other name was much, a much better descriptor. Uh, it was originally designed um, in the vein of the Barkley Marathons. If you've uh, heard of that before, if you've seen that movie on Netflix, um, in that it's the Barkley Marathons were not finished for nearly 20 years of it putting it on. There was not a single finisher. And so we were shooting for something like that, but we realized that we were putting our friends in too much danger by doing that. And so we scaled it back to now um, we get two or three finishers every year. And so that's, that's right about perfect. Um, Then it it goes from that as our most extreme uh, to much more traditional races um, that are still the, uh, XXC style. We've got the Pisgah 111, which is uh, 111 kilometers or just about 70 miles. Um, and that idea uh, was uh, pitched to me by a friend. And um, uh, unfortunately, right in the, the, the planning stages of it, I was giving him all of my contacts with the Forest Service and, and the like. And um, he, he tragically died uh, while we we're planning it. Hmm. And so my wife and I had decided that, that we had to do it in memory of Jeff. It was not our, uh, our forte whatsoever. Uh, we were taking a big risk, um, and, and stepping into a brand new realm, getting out of the adventure race and going to, you know, the, the set course. Um, and the, the idea was, was a success. Um, you know, we, we are still continuing to do it. This is going to be the sixth annual event this year. Um, we've got uh, the very following day, um, the 55 and a half K, which is half of the 111. It's uh, half the distance. It's not half as hard. It's, it's also a pretty hard event. Um, then we branched out uh, from that. Once I realized that, you know, the, the set course events, uh, logistics was something that I was able, that my wife and I were able to pull off. Um, I personally started to get into the gravel riding. And so I figured out a great, a great route and the Pisgah monster cross challenge was born. That's also 70 miles, but it's about 35 of pavement and 35 of gravel. And the pavement was, is the pavement that you mentioned, uh, Blue Ridge Parkway. And so we get to come out of the national forest and into the national park, which uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway is uh, one of the national parks. And so we go from that that one property onto the other property and then uh, take the Blue Ridge Parkway back into uh, the Pisgah National Forest. <clears throat> so something like the, the Monster Cross Challenge, what are people usually riding on that since you're talking about uh, tarmac and gravel? That's one of the great things about 
the 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 monster cross the the bikes are just uh, out of this world anything you can imagine a race bike being is what they're doing you know uh we had one year that a guy actually won on a full suspension mountain bike um really it, but yeah and but there are other years that's cross bikes uh, or uh, hardtail mountain bikes uh we haven't had a straight up road bike win it yet um the the course is set up so that um we alternate the direction based on the year and so we'll go clockwise one year and then counterclockwise the next year and my observation has been that when we're going clockwise because there are two tremendous gravel descents I see more mountain bikes out there. When we're going counterclockwise, where people are climbing those two gravel roads and the descents are more on pavement, there are more cross-style bikes. So they're watching your course uh, plan and, and picking their bike, depending on it. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then you guys had the, um, the Pisgah Enduro I was looking at. Mm -hmm. A lot of downhill. Tell me about that. Well, uh, the Enduro, um, when, when I personally ride my mountain bike out in the woods, um, I, I am not racing to the top. Um, I like to hang out and, you know, just ride with my buddies. Um, and no one's really, uh, pushing themselves to get to the top first. Um, uh, once everybody gets up to the top and we regroup, then it's a different story. You know, then it's no holds barred. Uh, everyone, you know, uh, visors go on, uh, elbow pads go on. Everyone sizes each other up and says, who's first? You know, you want to lead out? I'm leading out. No, I want to lead out. All right. And uh, we all, you know, bomb to the bottom as fast as possible. And the uh, and that, that's that's pretty much what Enduro is, you know. Um, one of my buddies um, was is also a race director and a timer. And uh, he purchased an, an Enduro timing system. And we were out riding, and he basically said, look, we could be doing this as an event. And so, again, I just used my, you know, uh, event promotion and production abilities to, to figure out the logistics of it. Once there was the, 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 missing, the missing thing for the Enduro race before that was the timing system. Right. Enduros are incredibly hard to time if you don't have the correct gear. And as soon as my buddy got that timing gear, it was 100% possible. Yeah, and, and to that point, what you mean is that you guys time the people going downhill, but when it's time to ride uphill, they can go at, at their leisure, whatever pace they want, because that doesn't factor into their actual overall time. That's correct, yeah. So with an enduro, um, only, as you just said, only the downhills are timed, and uh, the time in between the downhills, is they're called the liaison stages. And so... Uh, the, the racers are carrying a chip with them that when they pass by a, uh, a RFID read-write machine, uh, it will read that they pass by, and it will also write to the chip that they're wearing on their wrist what time they pass by. And so then they go to the next one, and when they pass by, it gets another read. And then all that we do is we filter out uh, the, the times that were downhills versus the times that were not. And then figure out, you know, the fastest overall time. Right, right. Well, you have just laid out my race. That that sounds like the ideal race for me. Because as I said earlier, I don't I don't like climbing hills. I mean, I don't mind it, but I don't ever want to race uphill. Every time we right. go out, you know, Kurt, the other uh, host of this show, he's got a couple of boys that uh, that race, and 
they are such good climbers. You know, I always say, get in front of me, go, you know, you're going to, you're going to kick my butt up this hill. In fact, Kurt kicks my butt up the hill. But once we get to the top of the hill, I want them to get out of my way. Cause I'm the one that wants to bomb down, <laughs> down right. the hill. So, man, that sounds like my kind of race. I like it. Yeah, that's, that's um, exactly, you know, the type of writing that I do. And um, in, in the introduction, I didn't mention that I was um, in the nineties, a sport level cross country racer. And so I realized the same thing that uh, I wasn't that great at climbing the hills, but I would catch up so many spots going back down. You know, I'd pass all these guys and then, you know, I have to tell them to get out of the way. And then as soon as we got to another uphill, here they all go again. <laughs> so um, the, the idea of the enduro, um, our first enduro was in 2012, I believe. And so we're at, this will be the sixth annual parade as well. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, right as the idea of the enduro racing came out, um, it, it appealed to me greatly. And we have the perfect terrain for it here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That sounds cool. I like that. I'll have to look for somewhere around this area, or maybe I'll just have to find myself out in Nashville and check out your terrain, too. So well, the night train, you have a night train, six hour and 12 hour. Yeah, the night train um, is a race that was going on uh, also in, in the late 90s out at Fontana Dam. Uh, Fontana Dam is a TVA dam. It's one of the tallest uh, East Coast dams at 350 feet. And uh, there's a, a village that's right there that uh, originally was built for the workers that built the dam. Uh, they've turned it into a resort, and there are trails that are all around that, that resort. And uh, it was an event that was going on until 2007 when, you know, six 12-hour racing uh, just kind of fizzled out, you know, we, we weren't seeing many of those races anymore. Um, as those picked back up, um, I had uh, been handed an event called the Ice Cycle that's also out there. And uh, so the second year that I was the race director for the Ice Cycle, um, the, the resort came up to me and it happened to be that the original race director for the night train was now working as the executive chef at the at the resort and so he came up to me and said why don't you do the night train you're already doing ice cycle do the night train also and i thought to myself i could do that i participated in that one as well i know exactly how it went down and so you know just uh you know pulled a couple strings signed a few pieces of paper and there it is it's it's up and running again i tell you what man you guys you don't seem to shy away uh, from putting on any events. I'm looking at your, your page and you have events April 22nd, the 29th, the May 6th, the May 7th, May 20th, the 21st. I mean, your summer is full. June 3rd, we're looking, and you even have the uh, the ice cycle stuff in the winter. You got fall mm -hmm. rides. So you have yeah. a, a full plate on your hands for sure. Yeah, yeah we sure do. And you know, then uh, you mentioned the running. Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife just, you know, decided that running was more of her thing. And so she was out running a lot more than she was riding her bikes. And uh, the idea of doing the running events, you know, it's, again, came from her. She's like, why don't we do the Pisgah Mountain Bike Adventure Race as a running race? And so that's where uh, PRAR, the Pisgah Running Adventure Race, uh, single sport adventure race with just running came came about. Um, and the 55 we opened up to runners also uh, again it's all arena's doing but any of the events that we've got are thing are events that uh 
I would participate in myself uh, or events like what I participated in myself. Uh, and, you know, uh, we're just getting, you know, I, I've never done a criterion. You'll notice that there's never, there's not a criterion on our schedule. <laughs> you know, that's not, right. uh, if, if it's not something that I'm familiar with, then we're not going to try to just pull it off. But, you know, Ice Cycle is the event that I've participated in as a racer more than any other. And um, Chris Herndon was kind enough to hand that over to me when he was done doing it. Um, and so I knew exactly how that ran. Uh, Night Train, same thing. It's if, if I participated in it and I feel that there's a market for it, then, you know, might as well give it a shot. Okay. I was originally thinking you were alluding to the the runners in the running adventure race uh, running the same route as the riders on the same day, but it looks like you do them back to back. They're not they're not out there at the same time. No, they're not out there on the same time for the adventure races. Because, well, because the because Pimbar the mountain bike adventure race, um, it's just much much larger than what the runners would be able to accomplish. In a day. Okay. All right. Well, I figured you'd have runners yelling at mountain bikers and mountain bikers snickering at runners, you know, the, well, <laughs> the that's, uh, battle. <laughs> we, we do run them together during the 55 and a half, uh, 55, five. We, we have both runners and, uh, cyclists on course at the same time. The runners leave 15 minutes after the cyclists. And it's inevitable that there are going to be running finishers before the last cycling finishers. So there's a little bit of interaction out there, yeah. but, um, you know, it's nothing negative. Oh, that's got to feel fantastic as a runner, though. When you come up oh, behind yeah. a, a mountain biker and pass them and, and beat them to the finish line. <laughs> oh, well, I've gone that. on mountain bike rides where I've let my wife go running in front of me, and it's taken an hour to catch her. Wow. You know, so I'm starting to think, is, has there been an alien abduction? <laughs> Where's <laughs> Where my she wife? Did she take a turn? <laughs> no, but, you know, just that, you know, runners – um, the advantage that they have, you know, and especially, uh, here where we've got, you know, down trees, um, you know, pieces of, uh, the rock slabs where, you know, just technical obstacles where you're either going to be coming to a stop and basically doing trials moves, or you're just going to be dismounting your bike and walking over it and, dis and getting back on your bike. The runner doesn't have to stop. And so their overall pace doesn't have those spikes. Um, you know, or those dips quite as far. They just stay at a more steady pace. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I want to point people to your site before I start to move away a bit. So the site is pisgaproductions.com and pisga is P-I-S-G-A-H productions.com. One of the things I liked on there is you guys have a download section that has um, maps and GPX files for GPS units. So mm -hmm. even if people are in the area and their their timing isn't right to catch one of your events, I would personally go on and get a you know, GPX file or you know one of the maps and choose some of these routes to ride. Because obviously, obviously you guys have spent a lot of time mapping these things out and putting a lot of energy into it. So I'm sure the rides are fantastic just to do, even if you're not there to, to compete in a race. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we welcome people to come and, and take a look at the site and, you know, download that stuff, as you were saying. Um, you know, the, the, the more people that come out here, the better. We, we, we enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we're all about is uh, inspiring people to to get out there and, and try some of that stuff. So on that uh, note. I got I to say that no matter what, make sure that um, don't don't just rely on that GPX track. Um, get a paper map mm. because uh, Pisgah is really, really big. And um, 
when it's unforgiving, it's unforgiving. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you need to know where you are um, and, and have all the essentials to get out. Another thing that I would uh, recommend for people that are going out and doing solo rides or, or small group rides where, you know, really nobody no does know where they are, where there's not going to be a rest area for them to go and get food, take a look at the PEMBAR required gear list. That required gear list has just about everything. It, it, there's nothing in there that's extraneous. Uh, that's, there's nothing in there that's not for your safety. You know, um, there's, even if it's a sunny 70-degree day, if something happens where you're going to spend the night in the woods, you're going to want a rain jacket, you know, um, or an emergency blanket or a water filter, a lighter. These things that are in there, um, that is the, the pack that I carry every time I go into the forest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really good point to to note talking about uh, having GPX files with you and GPS on you is great. But like you said, I mean, we're talking about 500,000 acres of national forest here. So if, you're, uh, if your phone or your GPS takes a digger, then you're in a world of hurt if you don't have uh, other navigation tools that can't fail you. So good point. Absolutely. And the Pisgah Map Company map is um, as, as accurate as it could be. You know, and there, it's well signed on the ground, too. And so you're not going to get to an intersection and pull out the map and go, where are we? Because there's the sign and here's your map. You can figure it out, you know. Yeah. But if you don't have that map, you're not going to know what that sign means. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's talk about people getting into mountain biking then. Um, like I said, we like to inspire people to to get into new adventure sports. And obviously you guys do, too. Um, so if somebody's listening in and says, well, you know, I don't, I don't really ride, but you guys are making it sound interesting. So, um, let's talk a little bit and help inspire them to maybe try it out. So when it comes to getting into mountain biking, can you go over a little bit about what people should know? I mean, you don't need to run out and buy a $2,500 mountain bike if, if you're just getting involved, right? But what, what things should they be looking for and considering? Well, um, you know, in my opinion, um, the best place to start is always on a hardtail uh, because you're going to be getting so much higher quality parts uh, on the entire rest of the bike. And when you're riding a hardtail as a beginner, you're really going to be learning the lines that are going to be making it so that you're going to be a better rider in the future. Uh, you, you want to eventually graduate to a full suspension bike. And if you start out with a full suspension bike, you're going to be spending a lot more on that rear suspension and less on the pieces and parts that are going to be on it. You're going to be, and if you start with a hardtail, it's going to be a lot, you know, higher quality all the way around. And so the, you want to get the best quality for your, your price point. Um, then, you know, of course a helmet, a hydration pack, uh, and then as soon as clipless shoes are something that you're comfortable with, then going clipless is a energy saver. It, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things, everyone rides them, um, because of the energy savings, you know, uh, some of the downhill guys, they're, you know, you'll see them on flat pedals, but that's because they're going to be hitting big jumps and needing to jump off their bike. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing the cross country stuff, you're going to be you're not, not quite as uh, aggro. You're going to be wanting to, you know, maintain or, or conserve your energy uh, for a longer haul. Um, and so uh, that, that, of course, would, would be the start. Yeah, absolutely.
This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. It's funny you bring up the the clipless versus uh, platform pedals. I riding out here. Um, I have always ridden with clipless pedals from you know, as long as I can remember. Have had clipless pedals, and uh, my son and I were out the other day, and we were on a, a fairly technical ride with a lot of uh, uh, rock, um, you know, rock garden, a lot of obstacles. Uh, that we're trying to clean, and with my feet being clipped in all the time, I found myself. To the point where I'd get about, you know, 80% cleared and then, you know, starting to put my energy and my focus into, okay, am I going to get my feet out? You know, and that's always been that way with me, you know, when you get in the technical stuff. So I made the, the decision to, to switch over to platforms and grippy shoes to try it that way. Well, I pulled the SPD, um, you know, clips off my shoes and tried it that way, which helped a little bit. And I realized I was cleaning more obstacles because my feet were not uh, pinned to the pedal because psychologically I knew I could at least bail when I needed to, instead of starting to put my energy into getting my feet out. So I was going to ask you what your recommendation was on clipless versus, uh, platform pedals. Well, I would definitely, for, uh, for the very beginners, definitely start out with, with the, uh, platform, um, because it's, it's just where, uh, it's a more natural starting point. Um, it's, you know, a lot like the bike that you've had before this one. Uh, and so, uh, starting there, uh, you don't need, uh, the, the pedals have become very advanced now. The flat pedals have become much more advanced now so that you don't even need the toe clips or, or, or any of the straps or anything like that. As long as you're wearing like a rubbery skate shoe and, uh, one of those more modern pedals, um, I've hopped on my buddy's bikes and, you know, it's a very stable feel also. Uh, and you're able to take your foot off immediately, like you were saying. And so for the very beginner, if, um, or for a rider that only has recreational aspirations, um, sticking with a flat pedal, then these modern flat pedals are, are remarkable. Um, but if you're going to be, uh, if you have aspirations to, to get into cross-country racing, then the efficiency of the clipless pedal um, mm -hmm. will, will outweigh those scary moments in the rock gardens. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing that hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, when we were, I pulled those out, I think halfway up our climb. It was once we cleared all the, the rock obstacles and I went ahead and I said, you know, I'm going to try this. I pulled them out and just rode um, as if they were platforms because I have the pedals that are one side platform, one side SPD clip. Um, mm -hmm. And the first thing I noticed was I didn't realize how much I had trained myself to pull with my opposite leg, pull up. Huh. Um, right. I, I knew it. I was conscious of that, that, you know, you needed to do that, but I didn't realize how much I had actually trained myself. So all of a sudden climbing the hill became a much uh, harder concept, you know, with uh, not having my feet attached. I was really kind of blown away about that. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, my riding style, uh, I like to say, is uh, one and a half wheels on the ground at all times. Uh, <laughs> and so that's um, the, the, the clipless pedals are, are much more, you know, uh, what there's much better suited for, for my riding style. But again, like I was saying, some of my buddies, um, they're, they're hitting the jumps all the times where I'm taking the B lines. Um, they're riding clip, they're riding platforms, um, because they, they might be jumping off, um, and, you know, flying through the air and they, they don't want the bike to come with them. Yeah, exactly. You want to ditch that bike so it doesn't come back and smack you in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Well, my invention on this this past ride was a uh, an electronic form of a clipless you know, slash platform pedal. So basically, you use a platform and you hit a button, and it you know the clip comes up and wraps around your your foot when you need it. But then you can hit the button and it goes away. It's coming. I mean, it's like dropper seat posts and uh, remote lockouts. It's just a matter of time, right? Be Bluetooth, <laughs> right? Exactly. That would work. Okay, so talking about people getting into riding, what about people getting into racing? Like, you know, I, like I said, I am not a, a racer mentality. I'm just not a competitive person. I like to, I like to compete against myself or just ride for myself. Um, so if somebody were thinking, I'd like to kind of toy with racing, but uh, I've never done it, what would you, what are some words of advice for them for something they might want to try out for some of their first races? Well, um, the races that we have here, the, the 55 and a half uh, is a total of 35 miles uh, or, you know, 55 and a half kilometers. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a challenging event. Um, and uh, but it's it's a set course uh, with rest areas. Um, the any of the six or 12 hour races that are really starting to pop up again, uh, that is is a great place for somebody to start because, um, the camaraderie of having a team, if you're doing a, a two person team or a four person team in a 12 hour event, uh, having that pit where you're coming back around and then your buddy goes out, um, and you know, you get to see your friends in between the laps. Um, that is a great experience. Um, lap race, uh, the endurance lap races, um, were, were my favorite as, as I was in my twenties and, and racing. Um, and then, you know, with that, uh, one piece of advice is just don't take yourself too seriously in the beginning. You know, as go there as prepared as you are, um, but know that an event like that is it's a lot like sitting down to a final exam. You're only as good as you are that day and how prepared you are that day. And the next day, you could have been more prepared. Like maybe you didn't drink as much beer the night before, and or whatever it is that would make it so that um, you know each individual day you're going to come up with a different result as a beginner. Um, and just go out and have fun with it. Uh, and if you start to do really, really well, then that's awesome, you know. And uh, continue to 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 push yourself. But if you're not, well, that's how I was. I was not a great racer. And so I turned it into let's go and explore these trails that this race promoter has laid out for me and everybody else to go ride. Now I can just go out there and experience this culture of mountain bike racing and I can go out and I can see these trails because you're not going to get lost in a non-adventure style race. Well, you shouldn't at least. And so you know you can follow these courses and then you know, go back to that place later. If it's, you know, a park or uh, a national forest or, or whatever, then, you know, 
take home that map from from the race and then go back there on your own and go ride it again, you know, without the pressure. Um, and it, that was one of the things that I would do. I would just uh, take home all these maps and then, you know, write it all down as many turns as I could remember so that I could then go back out into then it was in Virginia in the Jefferson National Forest in the Washington National Forest and go back to that spot where I'd camped before, where the race was, and go and do the course on my own without following any tape, you know, and just having an adventure uh, by myself or with my buddies. Um, it, it was, you know, that that's what I ended up doing because I didn't have that competitive spirit. Like you were saying about yourself, not um, the, the race uh, – only mattered so much to me after a little while mm -hmm. you know i was just out there having a great time I, I wanted to take photos you know or have a picnic um but other racers they'll find that they're you know they're kicking butt and they should go out there and they should try try it again and if they get top three in the beginner class a couple times move up to sport you know and once you're in sport just keep moving up if you keep doing it um and many people are able to do that um i'm not um, and anybody, uh, that finds that they're not, shouldn't be disappointed in that, you know, because bike racing is bike racing, but it's all bike riding, you know, get out there and, and ride the bike, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was telling my son, I said, you know, we ought to go try this, this race. And the, the fact that I used the word race already turned him off. He's the same personality as I have. Mm -hmm. Um, but talking about the, the one out in Moab, I was talking about, and it was another adventure race. And, uh, I said, no, no, you don't get it. It would be a lot of fun. You know, you, you don't have to win. You don't even have to care about, you know, how you place in the end. It's just a matter of, of mixing mountain biking and the adventure of finding the, uh, the routes that will best get you to that, to that checkpoint. Um, I just think it sounds awesome. So I'll have to convince them to, to run out and do that with me for sure. Yeah. The, the strategy races. Um, I mean, they're, they're a lot of fun. They, they are, uh, a different appeal, uh, than the, you know, follow the arrows races. Um, and, you know, and I'm glad that I've experienced both in the past and, and can, you know, recreate it for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do have to bring up before we get too far. Um, you guys, it looks like some of your proceeds go to trips for kids. And mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because they, it looks like this organization does exactly what what we try to do on the show is, is basically inspire people to get out there. And what this organization does is provide mountain biking um, or introduce mountain biking to kids that wouldn't normally get the opportunities to, do, uh, to try it. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, and Stephen James with uh, Trips for Kids, uh, WNC, Western North Carolina, um, he is 100% uh, about that, about getting people into uh, mountain biking. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a great organization. We're, we're glad to give to them. Yeah, absolutely. Might have to get somebody from, uh, from that group on the show. Cause I, uh, I, we love it. Anything we can uh, do to help get kids out in the outdoors and away from their, their phones and tablets is uh, a plus in my mind for sure. Okay. So two questions left. One, I have to ask, since you're the local, what's your favorite trail? So if I fly down there with my mountain bike and I only have a weekend day or a weekend, where do I want to go? Well, um, don't steer me to the worst trail either. Okay. I'll, no, no. So, um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that, uh, I, I moved to Asheville from Charlotte and, um, when I lived in Charlotte and I was coming up to Asheville to ride in Pisgah, I knew of only one trail and that one trail brought me back again and again and again and again and again. 
and, and to, to the point that um, it was all that I knew when I decided that, that I was moving up here, even. Uh, I didn't know about the other 190 miles of trail or whatever we've got out here. Uh, and that's Laurel Mountain to Pilot Rock. Uh, it's a loop that's about uh, 20 miles uh, for the entire loop. And um, it, it ranges from uh, medium to uh, advanced trail, I'd say. Uh, going up Laurel Mountain, um, it, it, I never tire of it. I know that I've personally done it 200 times. And it, I never tire of it. I never um, not see something I, I haven't seen before. It is, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, one of the best ribbons of single track that we've got. And then when you get to the top, the pilot rock descent down is um, just hairball. It is uh, rocks, roots, and it's steep. There's switchbacks. There are rattlesnakes. There's bears. There's trees down. There's you, you, whatever. Uh, there's jumps. There's drops. There's uh, lines around both of those. Um, they, the, it, it is just one of the most fantastic downhills around. Um, it's not flow, uh, at all. Uh, it is chunder, uh, rocks the entire way. And it is just glorious. Um, so Laura Mountain to Pilot Rock, um, starting at Yellow Gap. And so then you have about... Six miles of gravel road. Once you're at the bottom of uh, Pilot Rock, you got about six miles of road to complete that 20 mile loop back to Yellow Gap, back to your car. Very cool, very cool. A word from my local. All right, well, one of these days I'm gonna put it on my put it on my list to one of these days fly out with my bike and and check that out. So that begs a question: time. What is the best time to come ride in that part of the country? Well, um, spring and fall um, really are best. Um, the, uh, the, well, let's see. Let's think about that. So in the summertime, um, you, it's, uh, you, you have to worry more about snakes and bees and things like that. Um, in the springtime, uh, you have to worry more about rain. Um, and so, you know, pick your poison in terms of what it is that you might run into out in the forest. Um, but in, then in the fall, uh, the, the leaf season here is just incredible. If you can make it in September or well, in October, right when the, the leaves are starting to turn, but they have not fallen yet, then it is just a, a spectacular time out here, uh, because the colors are, uh, it's like the Northeast, um, it, in that, you know, just reds, yellows, uh, greens, the, 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 the fall foliage is, is again, just spectacular. Um, in, in the springtime, um, you're going to have uh, uh, longer views. You're going to have um, greater fluctuations in temperature. Um, it could be any – we can get snow in April, um, but, you know, maybe so, maybe not. So when you're planning a trip, it's, it's a little bit harder. Uh, but then in the summertime, it's just going to be – pretty warm and humid. Um, and you know, those three seasons any one of them have their, their, uh, positive attributes and their negatives, you know, um, rain is the bad thing in the spring. Um, 
heat is the thing in the, the summertime. And in the fall time, it's, if the leaves have already fallen, you're going to be in a foot deep of leaves. You're not going to see the trail. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, in the springtime, there's going to be flowers and, you know, beautiful green just popping. Uh, you can still see the big views because, you know, when all the leaves drop in the wintertime, uh, you know, the views are, are pretty spectacular. Um, and in the summertime, you're going to have the longest day possible to ride. You know, you're going to be out there for, you know, you can get 12 hours of riding in, you know, and, and carry lights just in case you don't get out. But, you know, um, you, you can ride for so, so, so many hours. And then, again, in the fall, the fall foliage is just unbelievable. Um, and so they've all, those three seasons, they've all got their pros and their cons. And so it's just, you know, a matter of, you know, which appeals most to you. Yeah. Pick your poison. Well, I imagine yeah. it depends on which, uh, which course or what type of riding you're looking to do too. at the same time. I imagine if you're, if you're going to do the route that takes you up, uh, onto the, to the Blue Ridge Parkway, I mean, the time of year would be to, to get up there when the foliage is, is turning. So that's gotta be amazing. I'm looking through your, your Instagram page as you're talking and it's, uh, some beautiful shots making me want to come out and check that out for sure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. So the final question then, um, again, back to encouraging people to get started in mountain bike. What are your words of encouragement? What would you say to somebody? What does mountain biking do for you that you want to relay to them to encourage them to, to mount up? Well, um, you know, the, it's, uh, beyond the adventure, uh, beyond, um, yeah, most, most of beyond the adventure, it's, it's a physical and, a mental health and fitness that you gain. Um, the, the physical fitness is, you know, for obvious reasons, um, your cardiovascular, uh, and, and muscle, you're, you're just going to get in much, much better shape and be much more healthy. Uh, in the, the mental part of it, there's a feeling that I get when I'm out mountain biking that is the closest thing that I do to meditation. Um, I don't do, I don't do yoga. I don't, you know, do, um, you know, straight meditation, but there is during good rides, everything else in the world falls away and you don't even realize when it's happened. You don't even know. You'll just be, there will be a 20 minutes, uh, two minutes, whatever, where a uh, job, uh, family, uh, any stresses that you're thinking about, anything else that you're thinking about just falls away. And the, the mental health benefits of that, uh, you know, it's, it's great for everybody. It's, you know, um, there's a reason that yoga and meditation and those things are so popular and, and are proven to be healthy for you. And mountain biking provides uh, what I can best imagine is a similar experience um in that i know that during good rides everything else just goes away there's you know um any concerns um it, they just melt away into the background and you're out there having just a blast and also getting physically fit while you're doing that um that those two things are you know uh what the best of my knowledge, key to long life, you know? Um, and so just th that's what I get out of it the most, knowing 
that every time I go out on my bike, that I am not only uh, providing fitness for my body, but also mental fitness. It's just a uh, such a relaxing thing when you get home and the day just went awesome. It it is a feeling that is not replicated elsewhere in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you painted that picture perfectly. I can't uh, agree with you more. There's nothing better than than leaving uh, your desk and being able to hit a trail on the way home, um, or you know, in my case, work from home, but throw the bike on the van and go up and take an hour or two ride in the evening in the summer. It just like you said, it just washes away. It's something I used to do. I used to get on my motorcycle and go, and I would get that same feeling where the day would wash away. And I got that out of it, but I wasn't getting the exercise and those endorphins uh, released while I was exercising. So when you do that on a mountain bike, you get to be out there and have the same feeling, yet have that fitness and that rush at the same time. It's it's, it's truly uh, magical. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely agreed. All right, great. Well, Eric, let's talk about real quick where people can find you guys. So we already talked about the, the website, pisgaproductions.com. Mm-hmm. And where else can they contact you and uh, find more information about the company? Well, um, uh, my email address is pisgapro at gmail.com. And it's right there on the pisgaproductions.com site, um, Facebook, and on Instagram. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they can find me there. Um, but, you know, Facebook and through my website are the, are the best places. Um, and my contact information is there. Um, the, the calendar is up on my website. Um, we, we put more of the race reports and uh, results and photos and things like that on Facebook. But, you know, they've got an excellent messenger service. And so however people need to contact me is fine. Very cool. All right, guys. So go out and check out Eric Weber and Pisgah Productions. If you guys want some inspiration to get down to Asheville, North Carolina, or maybe you're already there, uh, go check and see what uh, races they put on and what courses that they've uh, laid out. And you guys can... Uh, find some amazing rides down there for sure. So Eric, thanks so much for spending a little time on the show with me. I think uh, we've probably inspired a few people to get out there and ride. Uh, Thanks Travis. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Hey, if you've been enjoying the adventure sports podcast, do me a favor, go over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. It always helps. Join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. And if you're not yet a member of the ASP Member Deal site, go check it out. It's members.adventuresportspodcast.com. It's a way for you guys to help support the show while you're getting great content, but you also get some great deals at the same time. So check it out. Thanks for listening, and until the next episode, get out and try something new.